do I really have three or four or five differences? And is there a magic number? No, there's no magic number. You can have one difference. You can have, you can even say it this way. I've got 10 differences, but there are five that I think are irrelevant to you. There are three kinds of differences, by the way. There are unique selling points where you're the only company that does something. Welcome to the Food for Thought Lunch Break with Steve Bookbinder podcast, the show that gives you things to think about when you're trying to make more sales without all the seriousness of conventional sales talks. Enjoy and learn as he makes fun of sales training, salespeople, and sales trainers, including himself, all while giving you battle-tested strategies that work. Now, here's your host, Steve Bookbinder. Hey, thanks for joining me on your break. I'm always looking for new ways to get more sales. Turning your break into a coaching break is a great way for me to help you get more sales too. We've been talking about echo selling, which is like magic, or it would be magic if we could get others to help us get sales by repeating our sales pitch and being persuasive. So if I could talk to a customer and then after they talk to me, they go into a meeting with their coworkers who may be influencing the sale and they could repeat my pitch in a very persuasive way. Now they're not salespeople. So to do it my way, they have to be like salespeople, but very persuasive. If I could do just like magic, oh my goodness, it surely would be magic. The trick behind the magic is word choice. That is how literally do I construct my answer so that it's possible for them to repeat what I'm saying? So what I found is that word choice is one of those things that salespeople don't pay enough attention to. We imagine a meeting we're going to have tomorrow or later in the day. We think to ourselves, boy, when I get them on the phone or I get in person, when I'm meeting with them, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to ask them something like, I'm going to say something like, this is a problem. In real life, you never get to say something like. Actual words have to come out of your mouth. And if you're in a meeting and you're looking at somebody, it's an in-person meeting, you're saying something and reading their body language at the same time and thinking about what you're going to say, thinking about the next step, thinking about what you've got to do later in the day. There's a hundred distractions. So getting the right words to come out of your mouth when you're distracted, that's really hard. So you not only have to get the right word choice written down, but you've got to rehearse it so that you could deliver it in your sleep. If I were to wake you up out of the middle of REM4 sleep and say, what's your elevator pitch? If you wake up going, which would be common, then you're not ready. You've got to have this so ready. So if I wake you up and I go, what's your elevator pitch? You roll out going, well, we, and you just got to go right into it. So if you don't have it that firmly in place, you're probably not ready for a, for a high pressure meeting. So having said that, let's figure out how to echo your pitch with word choice. And as always, let's begin with today's question. How do I get customers in a very distracted world with many similar competitors to echo my pitch? The short answer is consider the world from the customer's point of view. Let me expand on that. Customers think differently than salespeople. And I'll give you an example. I used to be a salesperson. I'm still a salesperson, but I used to not be the CEO. I am a CEO now. I'm running my own company. And because my title is CEO and my website is easy to find, I'm the target of a lot of salespeople. So I get a lot of emails and 
emails and phone calls and from a lot of salespeople. And guess what? All of these people are all well-intentioned. They all promise to help me grow my company with a solution which is customizable and it's scalable and it's flexible and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. After a while, the hundredth salesperson begins to sound just like everybody else. In fact, I could hardly tell the difference between one and the other. And so that's one thing to think about as the customer. Here's another thing. If I'm looking at my calendar and I see that I have a meeting with a salesperson coming up, I actually think about that meeting. I actually think about the problem that that salesperson might possibly potentially solve. And I think about the severity of the problem and watch this. How much money will I throw at that solution? I already have a ballpark idea of how much money I will throw at the solution. Why do I mention this? Because the salesperson believes incorrectly that if they could paint the picture of how valuable their solution could potentially be, why I, the customer, will somehow be brainwashed into thinking that, you know what, forget about how much money I was thinking. Now I'm going to really open up the wallet and spend every last penny I've got on their solution. Not not so fast. It's not going to work that way. So we really need to think about the customer and think about the fact that they're getting a lot of competing messages and they're already in a distracted world. And so we've got to make our messages stand out. And the word choice we need to consider are the word choices or answers to four seemingly easy to answer questions that it turns out are not so easy to answer. The first question is, what do you sell? The second question is, what makes you different? The third question is, what's the advantage in working with you? And the fourth question is, what makes your solution worth the money? Or how is it ROI, return on investment, positive? How do I make more money than I spend? Well, let me just briefly go through all of these and give you a kind of a high level what you need to do to get the word choice right. But let's spend a little bit more time on the most important of these, what makes us different. So let's start from the beginning at the top. What do you sell? You need an elevator pitch. Now, an elevator pitch is... Literally, if you only had the length of an elevator ride, which would be, what, 10 seconds? Uh, unless you got uh, stuck on a broken elevator, then you're there for two days. But let's assume you don't get stuck, you're there for 10 seconds. What would you say in 10 seconds? Well, that elevator pitch really only comes up when you're trying to get to the right person. Let's say you're cold calling and you reach an assistant. Or you just reach the wrong person. And they go, who are you? What do you do? What does your company do? And you go, well, I work with the blah, blah, blah company and we do. And they go, what? What do you do? You need to roll out that five to 10 second answer that when you're finished, the other person goes, ah, got it. And then they could tell somebody else. But when you're actually in a sales meeting, you're going to use the elevator pitch in a different way. First of all, it's going to take about 30 to 90 seconds to get it all out of your mouth. And probably the context will be something like this. You'll first exchange some pleasantries. How are you? Nice office. Good to meet you. Thanks for letting me come in. Thanks for scheduling us or words to that effect. And then you're going to say something like, how about I tell you a little bit about me? Then you tell me a little bit about you. And then we'll see if there's a match, something like that. And then it's your turn to speak and you'll deliver this 30 to 90 second elevator pitch. I ask my participants in training classes, what is the purpose of this elevator pitch. And virtually no one gets it right. So let me just reveal the secret. The purpose of the elevator pitch is to get the other person to be willing to open up and answer your questions when you're finished with your elevator pitch. 
Your elevator pitch isn't some legally required check-the-box kind of a thing, which you just simply do to get it out of the way. No, you want to say something that gets the other person thinking, huh, interesting, I wonder if there's a, a fit for us, I'd like to know more about this. Something that gets them to thinking, piques their interest, opens them up, gets them from a distracted world to a focused world focused on you, and that's the purpose of the elevator pitch. So to get that right, you not only have to write it, but you got to rewrite it, rewrite it, hone it, practice it, rehearse it, and then keep optimizing it forever. Second question is, what makes you different? And there, most people give a crappy answer. What makes you different? Well, I uh, there's me. I'm different. But everybody that uh, doesn't prepare for that answer always gives that same crappy answer. Well, there's me. But everybody gives the, well, there's me. So all of a sudden, even that's not so different. So let me give you a better way to answer that question. First of all, from a construct the answer point of view, that answer should look like this. There are this number of differences, and then here they are. We have four. I'm glad you asked. There's four things that make us different, and here are the four. The first, the second, third. By starting with the number of differences, a couple of things happen. First of all, you sound confident. Second of all, it sounds like there must be a real answer. There must be some real differences. Third of all, you actually know those differences. And finally, from an echo-selling point of view, you've helped organize your answer in the other person's head. Even if they can't remember your entire answer, even if they only remember the part where you said, well, there's three differences. Now, when they're talking to their coworkers and the coworkers go, who'd you meet with? What do they do? You could say, well, uh, they do blah, blah, blah. And there's three differences between, what are those? Three? I don't remember what those three differences are, but I remember there were three of them. At least they could do that much, which is a, a great way to go. Now you're thinking to yourself, do I really have three or four or five differences? And is there a magic number? No, there's no magic number. You could have one difference. You could have, you could even say it this way. I've got 10 differences, but there are five that I think are relevant to you. There are three kinds of differences, by the way. There are unique selling points, where you're the only company that does something. There's also by-degree differences. Well, every company has, for example, a customer service department, and we do too, but by the degree to which we do it. Our customer service people are better trained, or they're more local, or they're more expert. They speak more languages, or in one way or another, even though we all have customer service, ours is different, ours is better. Or solution set differences, which go one of two ways. Either we have the umbrella solution, which covers more kinds of challenges that customers have. So we are an umbrella, one size fits all. We cover more needs or one point of contact. Or everybody's an umbrella, but nobody's a specialist. We're a specialist. So you're either going to go with the umbrella or the specialist argument with that uh, solution set. But let me give you another way of uh, thinking about uh, this answer. And what I find is that most salespeople can't stop themselves from spinning the answer, selling the answer. And what I need you to do when you answer the what makes us different is think about it from telling, not selling. Don't spin the answer. When you attempt to spin it, you actually sound less persuasive. When you act like you're just actually, honestly answering the question to the best of your ability, it's way more persuasive. So let me give you an example of that. There was a sporting goods store near my home that recently went out of business. And before it went out of business, they were discounting everything. And then just before they closed, they discounted it again and again and again. So I kind of waited till the last moment to go in. By this point, most of the merchandise was picked through, sold. The store was kind of a mess. Uh, but I walked in there and I saw that they had two racquetball rackets that looked identical, but one was priced at $15, great, the other uh, $150. 
So $150 versus 15, all things being equal, I'd rather spend 15. But honestly, if the $150 one was worth it, I I guess I would spend that much money. I didn't know which way to go. But when I looked at the two rackets, they looked identical. So I actually thought maybe there was a mistake. Maybe there was an old label. Maybe the old price was 150, but the new price was 15. I really didn't know. So I asked the salesperson, I said, could you help me? These two rackets look alike, but one is 150, one is 15. What's the difference? And the guy looks at me and he gives me a very patronizing answer. He says, let me tell you something about sporting goods. Usually the more expensive, the better it is. Oh, well, that's a helpful answer. What am I supposed to do with that answer? I, you know, and of course I found that sarcasm just naturally comes to mind. So I kind of want to ask, oh, really, really the more expensive, do you have a $500 racket? Cause that would be more than three times better than the $150 racket. How does that help me? What he's basically trying to do is tell me to not think about it. You don't have the ability to think it out. Let me do the thinking for you. Just simply use as the basis of your decision, the price with the more price, the better quality. Just understand it in that way. Well, I got a little frustrated with his answer. So I said, is there somebody else I could talk to? And he said, yes, there's somebody who's an expert on rackets. I said, please, can I talk to him? So the other guy comes over. And I hold up the two rackets and I say, these two rackets look alike, but the price is completely different. What's the difference? And he goes, which one's lighter? I try to feel for it. And I go, well, the, the more expensive one is lighter. So he goes, oh, well, that's because the more expensive one is made out of titanium. The other's plastic. Titanium is lighter. I said, so? He goes, well, the lighter the racket, the faster the racket moves with the same arm swing, making it hit the ball harder and therefore making it harder for the other guy to return the shot. Hmm, I thought. Making it harder for the other guy to return the shot is the whole point of racquetball. Tell me more, I said. Well, he goes, look at the rackets carefully. Look at how the strings attach to the handle. Notice that in the cheaper racket, the strings actually stop at the top of the racket, uh, the top of the handle. But at the in the more expensive racket, the strings run through the handle. They're actually longer. You can't see the whole string because it's inside the handle, but it's a longer string. I said, so? He goes, well, the longer the string, the more it puts a spin on the ball, making it harder for the other guy to return the shot. He gave me 10 differences, all of which at the same punchline, making it harder for the other guy to return the shot. At the end of that, what do you think I was going to do? Well, I'm going to buy the more expensive racket. Why? Because it's going to make it harder for the other guy to return the shot. He told me the differences, but didn't try to sell me the differences. He didn't try to spin the answer, but he selectively picked the differences which would matter the most to me. Very clever way he, the way he did that. And when people ask me, which racket did you buy and why did you buy that one? I actually know the answer. So, you know, we live in a world where people buy with their emotions and later rationalize them. Well, now I've got a way to rationalize uh, why I did what I did. And I'm absolutely going to make that decision. But if I'm talking to a coworker about what I'm deciding and I share that person's answer, that's the way I'm going to get my echo, my pitch to echo with other people. Let's look at the other questions. What makes you different is handled in the way I just described. It's going to be handled very differently than a very similar sounding question. What's the advantage in working with you? Now, what's the advantage does require the listing of the advantages, but they're not literally asking, why do you, Ms. or Mr. Salesperson, think that there's a difference? Because obviously you're paid to say that there's an advantage and there's differences. I really want to know as a customer, what is the reason that a customer like me would buy? 
And so you know what I need to hear? I need to hear the stories of why other customers like me have bought. So the real answer to what makes you a better choice or what's the advantage in going with you is the story, the short story of why other similar customers have bought. So we need to have stories. And ideally, you need about 10 of those stories. You need a story of why a small customer bought, why a big customer bought, why a company with a lot of budget, with no budget, with this need, with that need. For every situation, you need that matching story of why a similar customer bought. Because nothing is more reassuring. Keep in mind that the biggest proof that your products really work, as well as you claim, is that others are buying it. So let's use those stories. And then finally, what makes you worth the money? Now, there's no ROI app. You can't point the app at something and it automatically kicks out the uh, literally the math behind how you uh, have a return on investment. But what you can talk about is how other customers, similar customers, how they have defended that decision, why they have bought year over year, why they have continued to invest in the solution for many years, and how they have rationalized the return on investment. There's many ways to con- uh, consider it return on investment, but sharing how another customer has done it gives me reassurance if I'm a customer. Telling me how you would do it just tells me you're just trying to get the sale. So having said that, let's now take a look back at the way we're answering these questions. What do we sell? What makes us different? What makes us better? What makes us worth the money? And now let me ask you to take four actions so you could build on what we talked about today. The first, listen to this podcast with your team and then draft answers following my instructions. B, role play delivering the answers. Remember, they have to work verbally in a meeting, not just in an email. C, in your next sales meeting, wait for the right moment to ask, do you know how we're different? And when the customer says, no, roll out your answer. And if you didn't get the answer you want or the reaction you want, go back to the team and then rewrite it and re-rehearse it and try it again. And D, continue to learn more about echo selling by scheduling time for our next lunch break coaching session. Over the next few weeks, we'll alternate between talking about echo selling with interviews with sales and marketing experts. And we'll also introduce some surprises as well. Until next time, remember, I'm Steve Bookbinder, your sales coach. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out our free playbooks and training and coaching offerings on dmtraining.net. And contact me ASAP if I can help your team get more sales or help you have a more successful sales career. Thank you for listening to Food for Thought. To get your free sales playbook, visit dmtraining.net forward slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of Steve's jokes and helpful resources. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.